This week I had one of those chance conversations with a man who was interested in matters of faith. And he saw himself as spiritual, but was very clear he wasn't a follower of anything in particular. He valued his individualism, he said. He might be one of that large number of people who define themselves for polling purposes as spiritual, but not religious. He's bright, he's engaging, he's not looking for an argument, genuine seeker after truth who has some envy of people who understand religious traditions, even though he doesn't particularly want to get sucked in. And I suggested that this might be a community in which he could do some exploring of matters of faith without feeling compromised or manipulated or treated as an object for conversion. I told him this was not unusual that we have people in Bible studies and inquirers classes who do not and have no intention, actually, of coming to worship. But also, I told him that worship is where he will really learn what we are about. I suggested that he would find here our individuals in community and that we find community important, even essential, because community is the bearer of the story from generation to generation. And I wondered what the story of his spirituality was and whether it was conscious and whether it was chosen and whether it was good, because he has one. Our readings today point to the origins of this community. In John, we have Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit onto the disciples and granting them the power of God to bind sins and to loose sins. They're a community that can either remain bound by sin or they can choose to loosen that bondage through the practice of generosity toward one another as God has been generous to them. In Acts, we see how this community set about living based on the sure and certain knowledge that they have in their possession, that what they have in their possession in the end belongs to God. And so they set about practicing not only generosity, but also the expectation of sufficiency, the experience that everyone in the community can have enough. Now, we know that for much of the history of the church, these realities have been about power and who has power over whom and whether and how such power is exercised for good. Stories like this that led to the practice of excommunication, a privilege rarely used in the Episcopal Church in any formal way these days as we grasp more fully the costliness of grace and the absolute abundance of God's generosity toward us. Forgive as we forgive others. Let us be forgiven. And that power that we talk about this day is also part of the ethical foundation for taxation and ideas that suggest that no one in a civilized society should be living on the streets or unable to receive medical care, even as we also recognize the complexities of the absolute freedom of choice that we are granted in God's grace. If we can set aside the challenges of thinking about power for the moment, what we have today are the origins of our community that are based firmly and clearly in the grasp of God's extraordinary, barrier-breaking, mind-expanding, imagination-blossoming generosity towards us. And more than that, we have the recognition of such generosity that should leave us with some measure of fear I say further evidence because last week Mark left us with the women leaving the empty tomb, trembling 
and afraid. There's something about the first intimation of God's grace where we know nothing will ever be the same for us once we begin to realize the enormity of God's love. Many, if not all of you, know that first sense, I think I'm going to do this. Oh my God, what am I doing? That sense of fear and trembling before the love of God. The disciples locked the doors for fear. They were behind locked doors not once, but twice in this story. Every time they got together, they locked the doors. They huddled together, immediately following the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Our tendency to want to hunker down in the face of challenge, batten down the hatches, ride out the storm, lock the doors for fear of whoever would wish us ill. That tendency is part of what it means to choose to remain bound in sin rather than loosed by the recognition of God's grace. We're seeing the same tendency to closing doors with the various protectionist economic policies being floated in the face of recession or restrictive and punitive policies with regard to the extraordinarily complex issues around immigration. Jesus has to say to Thomas, but in the presence of all his friends, do not doubt, but believe. And adds, John adds that through believing that Jesus is the Messiah, you may have life in his name. Be brave. Don't get caught in your sins and your fears, but move through them, recognizing the generosity of God. On the day of our annual parish meeting, I find ourselves wondering how we will respond to the enormity of God's life-giving, self-giving generosity to us. How are we going to do it in the years to come? I'm encouraged deeply encouraged by our willingness to be flexible in the face of the economic challenge that every news outlet calls unprecedented. And even as we've had to cut important programs, so our leadership has been willing to really step out and say, no, we're going to be more the church in this time, not less the church. And we're going to increase our giving for those whose turn it is to find themselves in a time of need. I'm also aware from some of the conversations coming out of the, our strategic thinking process in which many of you have been involved, that we have more work to do if we're going to face the future imaginatively, not for our own sakes only, but for the, sakes, for the sake of that seeker after truth that I met this week, for the sake of the relevance of a gospel, of a world that is changing in relation to our faith, for a world where we're not going to be able to assume that people have anything approximating the right story or a good story for their spirituality. I'm reminded of what another spiritual leader in this particular context said, Henry Ford, not one that you necessarily think of as spiritual leader, but he said of his invention of the horseless carriage, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said they wanted a faster horse. Now, we've got to be thinking about the car here. We must beware of huddling behind closed doors for fear of what is coming and what will be asked of us, even recognizing that in some measure fear is proper in the face of God's generosity to us and what it can mean for our lives as individuals in this community of faith. So I'm back to my conversation with that new friend, the spiritual individualist, perhaps a good description of most of us, except that God found has brought us to find life in, in and among the community of the disciples 
who remember what it is that God has done for us in Christ and who seek to respond together to the extraordinary generosity of God who breaks all barriers, all imaginative possibilities by saying, yes, someone can rise from the dead. And we remember God's generosity not for our sake only, but for the sake of the whole world. I invite you to consider and remember how God has been generous to you and give thanks. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.